Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. We've been in our series, Jesus, and we've been looking at the life of Jesus, because I don't know about you, sometimes I can look at the life of Jesus, and I can say, that's great that Jesus did that, but I'll never be able to do that. And I think, unfortunately, many Christians can have that mentality. They can read about the highlights of Jesus, but, and we can look at what Jesus did, but many times we don't actually understand how Jesus did it. We can look at, you know, Jesus healed the sick, Jesus casted out demons, he fed the 5,000 miracles. Jesus forgave people that were crucifying him. Jesus handled his lazy disciples with grace. Jesus dealt with extremely difficult people in a, in a gracious yet truthful way. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild that we can look at the highlights of Jesus, but many times miss how we did it. Because I don't know about you, we live in a highlight culture. Online, right? You go online and you're scrolling. Many times you only see the highlights. So you can see the weight that somebody is lifting. You can see the shot that, some, that somebody made. You can see the picture that somebody painted. You can see the clothes that someone designed or that somebody is wearing. But in those highlights, many times you don't see the process of how that happened. You see the fruit of what someone does, but many times you don't see all of the other stuff that happened to see that fruit happen. And really, this is the kind of culture we live in. We live in a highlight culture. And we can do this same with Jesus because really the gospels in many senses are highlights of Jesus' life. So we can see Jesus, like I said, fed the 5,000, all of this stuff. But it's, you know, like, and here's the thing. We, we sometimes have to be careful of praying for things that we are not prepared to receive. Because we can, God, make me like Jesus. You sure? You know he got murdered, right? And he was perfect. He got murdered by politics and religion. God, give, give me something. Lord, do miracles through me. You sure? You have a lot of people coming to you wanting some stuff. Even I have felt the Holy Spirit say, John, be careful what you pray for Lifehouse. Because I, I remember, God, grow us, God, grow us. Now at times I'm like, Lord, maybe you need to shrink us. Because sometimes we can pray for things we aren't prepared for. And sometimes in love, God will tell us no. Because many times we think we know what we need, but God knows better. And that's why prayer requires discernment. If you pray out of what you want or what you need instead of saying, God, what do you want? Because that, that's the way I think many times we pray. We pray out of want or pray out of need instead of first off saying, God, what do you want? And then listening. Right? I'm not saying Jesus says come to him and ask him. There's nothing wrong with that. But prayer can require discernment. And we can look at Jesus and God, you know, you know, God, make me patient like Jesus. It's so funny. Okay, you ask for patience, get 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 ready. Get ready for tests that will build patience. Say, God, give me more money. Are you stewarding what you have right now? Well, or will more actually ruin you? This is kind of what I, I felt was, was like, John, okay, you want LifeHouse to grow, but is there even a structure to support and steward the growth that you're praying for? Are you even prepared for what you're praying for? And that's what sometimes I think is so important that, that as we're in this series of looking at Jesus, we have to make sure that we just don't look at what Jesus did. We look at how Jesus prepared to handle what he did. I am currently in, in this season. I, I have a son named Jackson right here who I said every time I talk about him in a sermon, I'll give him $5 to get, you know, to, to get his permission. But he, he loves basketball, and he is playing basketball, and he is in different leagues and doing different things. But not only does he play basketball, he watches basketball. 
and one of his favorite players is Steph Curry. You know Steph, right? All-time, the all-time leader in three-point shooting. Um, just one of the most beautiful shots you will ever see. And, and my son likes to watch his highlights of him making threes, and then he will try to go out on the court and shoot 40-foot three-pointers like Steph Curry does. So he'll come down and just chuck it. And I'm like, that's not a good shot, Jackson. What do you, but, but then in his mind, Steph Curry did it. And what I tried to get into his mind is Steph Curry has shot in the dark a hundred million shots. And that's why he can go out and make those is because he is successful in the light because of the work he's done in the dark. He's successful when everybody's watching because he's successful when no one is watching. And that is what I'm trying to get into him, is, is, is that what you do isn't just determined on what you do when everyone's watching. The success of what you do when everyone's watching is there when no one's watching. The shots you take when no one's watching. But this is sometimes the way that we can look at Jesus. We can look at the success that Jesus had and be like, I want that success. But we don't look at the kind of life and rhythm that Jesus had to cultivate that kind of success. And that's what I want to talk to you today about today is this concept of Jesus and rhythm. Jesus and rhythm. And when I talk about Jesus and rhythm, when I say this word rhythm, what I essentially mean is this. Can you, can, can you go to the definition of rhythm? A rhythm is a structured life that cultivates an awareness of God's presence, desire for God's boundaries, and continuing communion with God as the norm. Because here's the thought. Jesus didn't do what Jesus did because he was Jesus. Jesus did what Jesus did because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he had a rhythm of life that cultivated an, an awareness, desire for his boundaries, and communing with his Father as the norm. And that is how Jesus was able to do what he did. Because here's the thing. Scripture tells us, Paul tells us, that Jesus set his divinity aside. He didn't lose it. Well, like, well, Jesus did because he was Jesus. Like, of course, Jesus, he's Jesus, y'all. And what we mean by that is, of course, it was easy for him. No, Jesus put his divinity, his God part aside. He didn't lose it. He, like, you can take your sunglasses off. That doesn't mean you've lost it. That just means you've taken them off, but they're still yours. That's what Jesus did. He took his divinity off. He, he put it to the side, but he didn't lose it. But then he lived a life in the human side filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit you and I have access to. But then he had a rhythm of life that cultivated a kind of life that developed him into a certain kind of person. And this is what I want to talk to you about today is a rhythm of life and it's a structure. It is a structure that when we look at it cultivates us, us to be a certain kind of person. It's interesting whenever you read the gospels there are certain little phrases that pack powerful punches. Well, let me tell you one and it is simply this as was his custom. Where, where we can see a few times in Scripture where the gospel writers bring out some things Jesus consistently did. Let me give you a, a couple here. Number one, as was his custom, he went to the Sabbath on the synagogue, or he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So, so what this is saying is Jesus went to a weekly gathering to be in community, and on the Sabbath, like Jesus practiced having a day off. It's so funny, Christians are like, well, I don't need church. Well, Jesus went to a community. Like, do you just see how, how we can, like, mess some things up? Okay, secondly, we see this. As was his custom, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So from the hustle, the bustle, the demand, the people who were trying to find him, the people who wanted to get something from him, people that were hungry, starving, hurting, broken, where Jesus says that he often got away from that to get in a place of being before his father, and he prayed. So we can see Jesus here. He, he took a day off. He went to be in community. We can see Jesus here. He went off and had quiet, private time with his father. And the third, we say in this here, Mark 10, as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus, he, you know, being a Jewish rabbi, he would have a practice of doing Bible studies with those who he was with. 
So we can say, like, just from these three, three sentences, Jesus participated in Bible studies, took a day off, went to church, and consistently got away in private time to be refreshed by being with his father. And then we wonder how Jesus was able to do the kind of ministry he did and have the kind impact he had. It wasn't just because he was Jesus. It's because he had a rhythm of life that cultivated him to be a certain kind of person. Are y'all seeing my heart today? Are y'all hearing my heart today? This is the struggle we have as followers of Jesus. So, so, So I don't know about you. As I've gotten older, I just turned 40. As I've gotten older, I, I've, I've started to see things, because I've lived a little bit, I'm starting to see some things differently than I saw when I was younger. So just to be candid, right, if you've been to our church, you know my favorite movie is Forrest Gump. Like, it's not even close. That is, like, my favorite movie. And I remember seeing this movie when I was 9 years old or 10 years old, and my dad and I loved the movie so much, we actually went to see it three straight nights in a dollar theater. Come on, somebody. You remember the dollar theaters? Let's go, dollar theaters. Dollar theaters. We, we went to go see it three nights in, in a row because we were so just mesmerized with the story and just how good it was. And just, you know, this, this special kid named Forrest who no one thought he was going to be anything or do anything special. But, but he just had this stick He had this kind of just like charm. And he just had a lot of luck happen in his life to where he influenced some major developments in the United States history. And it's just one of those movies that just makes you feel good. And I actually had the, the opportunity to visit Savannah. We can actually throw that picture up, up there. To visit Savannah, and I got to actually see the Forrest Gump bench. It's actually crazy. They had to actually move the bench from where it was within the city because so many people died from getting hit by cars taking pictures of it. They had to put it in a museum <laughs> because so many people were getting hit by cars, right? But I loved seeing this. But one of the things about Forrest Gump that as I watched it, like whenever it's on, I'm always watching it. It's like as I watch it being a 40-year-old man as opposed to being a 10-year-old kid, it's I start to see nuances and things differently about the movie that I did not see. I would, when I was nine, I was focusing on the feel-good story of Forrest. As I'm a 40-year-old man, I now focus on the brokenness of Jenny. I wasn't understanding at nine and 10 years old that when her dad was trying to find her in the cornfields and he had a bottle and he was angry and he was yelling or when... Forrest made kind of just the funny whatever statement. He was always hugging and kissing. And how she had to go and live with her grandma at a very young age. Then you can kind of see as she went to college, she kind of got you know, involved with a bunch of dudes. Then she got into stripping. Then she got into drugs sex and alcohol. And, and then it got to this point where Forrest is just continuing to love her. And, and Forrest is continuing to be faithful to her even though she kind of sees him and leaves, sees him and sees him and leaves. But there's this one moment where she comes back home after she's done all that crazy stuff, and there's this moment where, where they're walking, and they come, and they see her house that she grew up in. And I'll never forget, like, actually seeing that and recognizing that, realizing that when she sees that house, she's coming face-to-face with the very reason why she is why she is at that moment. And realizing, like, yo, that is deep. Like, that is so deep. Because just the, can't even imagine what happens in her body when she sees that house and she plays back experiences. All right, I'm not thinking about that at nine years old. <laughs> and, 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 but, but what I'm trying, is, is that as we get older, we start to become aware of things we were not aware of because we've lived some life. Can I just confess this in one area? This is what I've started to do, ready, with the Old Testament. I, I, I was so judgmental of the Old Testament. I'll just be honest. Like, I felt like for so much of my life as a follower of Jesus, because I do, I think it's kind of personality. You know how your personality can kind of influence your Bible reading? If you're more of a history buff, you're going to probably love the Old Testament. If you're more creative, you're probably going to love the Old Testament because there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of analogies and prophecy. If you're kind of more about, like, sci-fi, you're going to love Revelation. 
right? You're going to, oh, what is the seraphim, and what's the beast, and this, that, and the other thing, and how's the world going to end, you know? And me, I'm just kind of, just, just, just tell me what to do. That's why I love Paul. Paul's like, hey, church, you're being stupid. Do this. Don't do that. And then, so I'm always drawn to kind of more the epistles. And what Paul said, I love the life of Jesus. I love reading about him. But I've always struggled with the Old Testament. Because to me, what I was kind of always taught and kind of saw it is just this old religious, yeah, it tells us about Genesis, tells us where we came from, tells us about Israel, about how they came from slavery. Then God gave a bunch of weird laws to them about doing stuff. And then there were some prophets, you know, that came and said stuff. And yes, Psalms is great because Psalms are songs. Proverbs gives us wisdom. Ecclesiastes tells us the meaning of life. Song of Solomon is like, well, Song of Solomon is kind of a book about love and romance, you know. Um, but but I, I never really, I don't think I really understood, maybe until, like, I remember I kind of knew it, but I don't know if I really experienced, like, the Old Testament context. And I think it's like when I started to realize how hard it is to help to, to raise and shape and form kids to be a certain kind of person, that I realized what God was trying to do with Israel. He just wasn't trying to shape and form a child he was trying to shape and form a nation. And I, and, and I kind of feel like I've had this revelation of like, oh my gosh, like, like, like the Old Testament is so much. And, and then as I'm starting to follow, to, not follow Jesus, but, but kind of like study Jesus about how Jesus quoted the Old Testament so many times in his teaching. Jesus took the Old Testament and, and even some of the parts of the Old Testament, we struggle with, well, Adam and Eve, how do we know Adam and Eve? Well, Jesus taught about it, Matthew 19. Jonah, well, how do we know someone survived scientifically in a fish for three days? Well, Jesus talked about Jonah. Noah, do we re- did he really build a boat? Cindy, do, do we really think there was a guy build a boat? Well, Jesus said that there will be days like Noah. Like, he, he kind of talked about it. And I just, I, I just think that, that as, as I'm thinking about discipleship, as I'm thinking about following Jesus, as I'm thinking about rhythm, as I'm thinking about kind of just like raising and forming kids, like, it's feel like I'm seeing the Old Testament in a completely different light because I've got some life experience. One of the things Jesus said about the Old Testament is he said this. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to do what? To fulfill them. Basic, basically saying, like, I'm not trying to throw this out. I'm trying to, sh- to come and fulfill what y'all couldn't. And I think it's important that as followers of Jesus, we don't throw the Old Testament out, but we interpret the Old Testament through Jesus. He is the filter we see it through. He is essentially saying the sacrifices, the worship rituals, we see that through Jesus. That yes, we don't celebrate Passover. We don't celebrate the day of atonement. Why? Because Jesus was the atonement. We don't sacrifice lambs. We don't sacrifice bulls. We don't sacrifice pigeons. We, Jesus was sacrificed once and for all for there to be relationship and righteousness and purity and holiness in our relationship with him. This is what we celebrate. However, though we interpret it through Jesus, we just don't throw it out. We have to have eyes to see it for what it was with context. And now we say, what do we derive out of this? And let me tell you what, what I have been seeing is that the Old Testament gives to us, because God was wanting to be in relationship with his people, to be God of, of their people. What do we see in the Old Testament is it provides a framework for there to be a rhythm for God to be the center of people's lives. Because it's interesting. So he's saying, right, one of the purposes of the law was to put in place a rhythm of life where God was put at and stayed at the center of their life. We even see in their calendar, in their schedule, God told them, you're going to celebrate seven feasts. Like, you're going to have days on your calendar to remember me. Remember what I've done. That's why they would, they would you know, that's why they would do Passover. Passover was time to celebrate salvation while God delivered them from Egypt. 
Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was to like, it was a couple days right after the Passover, which was to show there can be no compromise. Because just a little leavened bread, just a little, it gets into the dough and it can spread. There was the Feast of the First Fruits, which celebrates God's provision by bringing him the first fruits of the spring harvest. There was the Feast of Weeks, which was put into place to celebrate and thank God as being the provider of the spring harvest. There was the Feast of Trumpets that was done to help God's people know that they were entering into a sacred season right before the Day of Atonement, which the Day of Atonement, which was put in place for God's people to be reminded about their sin. And this is where the high priest sacrifices a lamb as the atonement for the people's sins. And then there was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the final feast. took place five days after the Day of Atonement. And for seven days, the Israelites presented offerings to the Lord, during which time they lived in huts made from plain branches. Living in the booths recalled their journey of the Israelites prior to them taking the land of Canaan. Why are you saying all this, John? Is, is because what God was doing here with these feasts is he was wanting to get them not to forget what he had done for them. Wanted them to remember these crops you have, they didn't come by your strength and your wisdom. They came because of me. Giving me the first fruits declares I am first in your life, not just you declaring you're first in my heart, God, but not giving him nothing. He said, you're going to present to me the first. It was a way to, to, to cultivate a rhythm of life for them to keep God at the center. I want to read to you 13 verses from Deuteronomy. This is church gone wild, okay? Church gone wild on Sundays. 13 verses from Deuteronomy 6. Here we go. Ready? All right. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses. It says, you must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then you will, it will all go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Do you remember somebody quoting, quoting that? Jesus was simply quoting Deuteronomy. He says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Parents, listen up. Okay? Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as what? Reminders. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to what? Forget. The Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord God with all your heart and serve him. Like, do you, are, are y'all hearing the heart behind this text? What is God saying? Put in place a rhythm to where I am the center. Because if you don't, you will be prone to forget. You will be prone. <laughs> He's like, do these things. Why? Because y'all hear, here's the heart behind what I'm saying. Like, in our attempt to not be religious, right? Here's a, here's a slogan all of you know, right? It's not about religion, it's about relationship, right? And I hear that, I agree with that, but you have to know religion is doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Re religion is doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Reasons. Relationship is doing the right things for the right reasons. What I believe we have unfortunately cultivated in church is that being in relationship means we don't do anything. Or it takes off this expectation to do anything because for so long the church was like, do these things and then you're saved. And we've gone to the completely opposite way of you're just in relationship, do what you feel. And so we've said it's about religion, but not relationship, but the very thing that cultivates relationship is some sort of religion that does things. 
and we've said, like, I love Jesus, but not the church. And, 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 and hear my heart behind that. And, and it's, it's, it's like, we have to be careful that if we, if, if we just, because, all right, so, and break it down to you this way. Do you have, like, yes, you, you know, someone say, I don't have to go on dates to be married. True. You can go and get a marriage license. You can get married. You don't have to go on dates. And I know there's teenagers in here, so I'm not going to say what, I'm, what I want to say. But it's like, as a married couple, you, I mean, yeah, we, we don't have to do adult married couple stuff to be married. No. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing, y'all. Help me out. Ugh. Right? Like, like, or, you know, like, that doesn't make us married. Okay, that, that's true. But see how long you stay married not going on dates and not doing married grown-up things. Because it's those very things that cultivate relationship. It's not the fact that we're in relationship that keeps you in relationship. It is doing the right things for the right reason. And what I think as a byproduct, one of the things that has actually kept us from cultivating a rhythm, a life, a structure to put God first, and hear, hear me on this, is grace. A wrong understanding of grace. We look at grace as an excuse to do nothing. He saved me by grace through faith. Glory. You're right. You aren't saved by works. You are saved by grace. That's the good news of the gospel. Is that you cannot earn your way to heaven. Only Jesus paid that price. He lived the life you couldn't live. Died the death you should have died in your place for your sin. But then he rose and defeated Satan's sin and death. And grace is not an excuse. Let me tell you what scripture defines grace as. Grace is an empowerment. To respond to the grace you have been given. Now you say, I don't have to do this. Now it's a, I, how can I not based on what God has given me? And it cultivates a want to, not a have to. So you respond to the grace, not by, well, you know, I'm saved by grace. Great. No, the, the grace empowers you. Grace is a response. And so, y'all, we have to be careful. When I'm talking about rhythm, when I'm talking about rhythm, building a structure of life, which, which includes habits and practices to keep God at the at the center. I'm not telling you be religious like the Old Testament. I'm not telling you, well, just have relationship, and the relationship's good enough in itself. No, we need habits and practices and, and weekly and daily things to keep God at the center, to keep the relationship fresh, hot, and going. Are y'all hearing my heart? Because here's the truth, y'all. Rhythm, like we have a discipleship crisis because we have a rhythm crisis. I mean, y'all, the United States culture does not cultivate you having a rhythm of putting God first. The culture wants to freaking exhaust the heck out of you. It wants to leave you feeling like you never have enough. And it wants your appetite to rule you. That's what it is training you to do. And you know it's true. So, but I know we have a desire to serve and follow Jesus, but you're in a culture that is like exhausting, consuming, and that's why like the heart of, is like if we are not intentionally moving in the direction of Jesus, if we are not intentionally cultivating a rhythm of life that puts Jesus at the center, we will, we will either intentionally or unintentionally go in the opposite direction of him. That's how intense you have to be. That, that, that's why I think the, the language Jesus used was intense, but it wasn't meant to be intense to make you feel bad. It was just like you don't understand how intentional you have to be to see this kind of life flourish. Y'all, discipleship requires rhythm. We can say we love Jesus. We can say we follow Jesus. That is true, but it, it requires us cultivating a rhythm to make this happen. So this is going to be a two-part message. I'm proud of myself because in the past, I would have tried to preach this whole thing. And I would have had you here until 1.30. Okay, so by God's grace, this is going to be a two-part message that I'm going to finish next week. Church is online only next week. So if you show up at Regal's, please don't come and see Barbie. Okay, just don't do it. 
just, just don't do it. I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm just kidding. If you want to see Barton, see it. I'm just, just, just I'll, I don't know. Um, but if you come here next week, just know we ain't going to be here. Come see a film. We're going to be online next week only because we want to create space for you to come and serve, serve with us on Friday and Saturday. So we're going to do church online next Sunday. But um, so ne- like next week, I want to tell you how we can practically do this because there's such a practical side to this. If I just sit up here and bark at you, create a rhythm, create a rhythm, be rhythm people, you know, have rhythm, have life rhythm, you know, like, but y'all, like, do you know how diverse and unique that is to every person? And I'm not trying to give you religion here. I'm, I'm trying, I know there's a lot of variables that go into your life. But what I'm saying is, is that it's possible. It'll be a work that you and the Holy Spirit will have to work together on. And let me tell you what the byproducts will be if you work towards building a rhythm of life that keeps God at the center. Number one, you will cultivate an, a deep awareness of God's presence. One of the reasons why I think we have so much fear, anxiety, and worry is because we're so much more aware of us and them and not God. It's an awareness thing. And creating a rhythm with habits and practices that protect you and protect God being first will actually cultivate inside of you this amazing awareness that you are not alone. That God is with you. God actually goes before you. That just as we sang today, the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me and leads me. He surely goodness and mercy. As he leads me, surely goodness and mercy follow me. So I'm not by myself. To where you can actually learn and train and cultivate awareness of God's presence. This is in This is what we see Jesus doing. Like, Jesus was so aware of his father's presence. How do you think he had such rest in the midst of his enemies? Jesus was a a rabbi. He had learned by memory the whole Old Testament. I can't even imagine how many times Jesus, when he was in the midst of people who hated him, when he was preaching to people that wanted to crucify him, he would say under his breath, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green restores my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Jesus even talked about scripture became his food. Scripture became what fed him, what sustained him. And y'all, if that sustained Jesus, how much more does it need to sustain us? Because how many times are we more cognizant and, and aware of what someone else is saying instead of what God is saying? How helpful would it be if you're about to go into a a business meeting that that you know is going to be tense? Under your breath isn't, oh, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? This is like all of this anxiety and worry and and fear, but you're walking in knowing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? You have this awareness that God is here. He's available. This is what a rhythm has the power to create. Secondly, a rhythm will help you see God's boundaries as protection instead of restriction. One of the things that I think we can do with God's boundaries is we can look at them as restrictive instead of protective. Fences are not just for restriction. Fences are for protection. And God will ask us to do things that will feel like restriction that are actually his protection. Can I give you three of them? That I know you're going to have a problem with one of these three? No matter how spiritual you are. Ready? Fasting, Sabbath, and tithing. <laughs> because honest, honestly, fasting, really God? Give up food? You know, and I mean, it's like in our world, like fasting is literally like hell. We have so much abundance to eat. We have so much food to eat. And just we got so much, ab- so much abundance. Fasting and putting it aside can feel like we're, like we're sinning. When you see Jesus said, not if you fast, but when you fast. Because let me tell you what fasting does. Fasting protects you from your appetite being your God. Because the heart of fasting is it flexes your no muscle. 
There are so many of you. How much, more would, how much closer would you be to Jesus if you had the spiritual ability to say no? A lot of following Jesus is saying no to what our flesh wants and yes to what God says is best. And fasting is a way, just, just, just think, as you learn to say no to your stomach, you could actually learn to say no to unhealthy thoughts. Fasting isn't, does fasting restrict? Yeah, but I've also heard fasting is feasting on God. As you fast food, you feast on him. And we can look at fasting as being restrictive, but let me tell you this, fasting is protective. It keeps you from your appetite becoming God of your life. Let's talk about Sabbath. Sabbath protects you from your schedule being your God and work being your God. Now, I mean, no, and here's the thing, right? I am a professing Sabbath hater because I love working. I love our church. I love you. I would schedule meetings every Saturday if I could. Meetings after, after, after church. Like, but I, let me tell you what I've been terrible at is Sabbath. Taking a 24-hour period where I, and here's the thing, Sabbath isn't just rest. Sabbath is enjoyment. I'm learning about Sabbath. Like, I'm on this quest to make 24 hours per week of my life freaking enjoyable. Because when you study Sabbath, Sabbath is not just eating four pizzas and laying down on Netflix. And like, oh, God. You know, and, 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 and you, you, know, you numb yourself and you're just like, oh, God. You know, it's like, just, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's like, well, I'm just resting. No, you're numbing. The big difference between enjoying and relaxing and numbing. Okay. When you look at Sabbath, like even the way God in the Old Testament talked about Sabbath, it is a time of enjoyment where you actually prepare for the day, where you say, oh, I can't wait for Sabbath. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to have a time of, of, of doing something that I deeply enjoy. Married couples, we're going to do grown-up married things. <laughs> we're going to actually plan this. It's going to be 24 hours of just enjoying and relaxing and reveling in the grace of God giving me a day off. God took a day off. You know how convicting it is to read in the Bible? God took a day off. Why do I struggle? Because really, intrinsically, as I'm going on this journey, and I'm, and, and I'm just sharing frankly, I realize that the reason I don't take time off is because I'm scared. What are you going to think if I take time off? What if somebody needs something? What are, what are you going to think if I don't respond quickly? Or what, you know, like, it's, it's just like, oh, well, is, is things going to be okay? Is stuff going to get done? Is, and, and you really realize the reason we don't Sabbath is out of fear. But what the practice of Sabbath does is it keeps, it keeps God as God. And you realize that as you stop and as you rest and as you enjoy, what actually happens is God is the one that sustains as you rest. Sabbath is an act of trust. Sabbath is an act of you saying, you are the one that makes the world run, not I. But it's so crazy. Day, day off. Grind 24-7, you know, 365, you know, kind of what we do, right? But just know the culture's way isn't always the best way. All right, last, last one. I thought, thought I'd save the best for last. Tithing. Listen, I understand theologically there's debates about this. But I don't think we can throw out the Old Testament completely. Jesus said, because, you know, he got on to the Pharisees. He said, you tithe everything. The, your spices, all that stuff. He said, don't, but, he, but he said, you do that so you don't have to treat people nice. You think doing that keeps, like, like it, it's almost saying, well, I do that so I don't have to do this. And God's like, no, you need to practice the former. You need to practice tithing while also practicing justice and mercy. He was saying it's not either or, it's both and. 
and look, I understand the theological debate, whatever. But what tithing was actually meant to do was to actually keep your bank account from becoming God of your life. Because I don't know if you know this, God doesn't ask us to do things because he needs anything. God asks us to do things because we need it. So when he asks us to be generous, it's not because we need it. And we have worked hard at our church to say anything you give to our church, listen, we want it to be you get to. Invitation. Because here's, here's the thing. God is going to build the church. And you can choose to be a part. Or, you know, it's, and so I, we trust God. We're wise. We steward money well. We're in a great fin- financial position. You know, we're, well, we got faith and spend crazy. No, it's, it's like we're, we're, we're going to trust that as we take steps in individually and personally that we be generous, that we'll see God do his work through the church. But giving to anything, whether it's a church, whether it's to, like giving to a person, a church, a charity organization, whatever, that giving is less about what you give towards and more about what it does for you in your heart. Giving is giving, giving releases the grip of greed on our lives. It literally releases it. It breaks its power because people, this is what I hear people say, it's about the heart, John. I understand that. But if the actions don't match the heart, then you are saying words but with no actions. Many times people say it is about the heart because they don't want to do anything with their hands. But some people will give with their hands, but not, do y'all see this? Well, I give this, God, where's my stuff? I had this for the longest time. God, I tithe, I do, 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 do. where's my house? Where's my nice house? My, these people there, they don't tithe. Give them a nice house. So I was doing the act, but with the wrong heart. Because my heart was, God, I give to get. Anytime we give, we give in response to what God has already given. It is not to get. Anything you give, give, it's a response. God God is not at a deficit in what he's given. He has saved us. Restore, like, yeah. So, So, but tithing ultimately, the heart of it, not because God needs it, but because we need it, because we need to be free from the, 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 the tyranny of tyranny of greed that our culture is trying to get you to do. Are y'all here in my heart? Awareness, of, Josie, please come up. I wish you would have came up already, okay? <laughs> just, you know what, Josie, just come up whenever you want, okay? <laughs> As y'all know, that is, that, that, that's our transition, right? It's like, okay, we're going to be landing this plane. But what, what will a rhythm, so like I said, next week I want to talk to us about how to cultivate a rhythm. I want to give you principles. Like, I, I don't want to tell you what to do. I want to help you. I want to train you how to think. Because just saying, everyone do this, everyone do it this way. There's so many nuances in everyone's life that I hope to give principles to help you cultivate a rhythm so you can have an awareness of God's presence, people. So you can look at God's boundaries as his protections instead of his restrictions where you can have a life of not compartmental, I've totally forgot to see, of not compartmentalizing your life, but you live a life of continual, consistent communion with God. Because let me show you this, this here that, that I think really shows like how a lot of times we live our lives or think about our lives, right? We've kind of got this circle here where we've got you know, work and meals and friends. Then we've got a little time for God over there, a little little biscuit, you know, that, that we give God of our time and give him a little five minute in the morning and, you know, we did, you know, then we get a little bit of church and some exercise and some fun. And that's one way to live. And that, y'all, I don't think that was God's design. In the Old Testament, I don't see that. Even when God created Adam and Eve, he created to be in consistent communion with them. The Old Testament, it was creating a system, a way for, for, for God to be in communion with his people. Jesus himself, he even came, scripture says, he moved into the neighborhood to be in communion with his people. Jesus did what he did so so we could be in communion with him. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to, to be God with us so we can commune with him. God's heart is to commune with his people, to be with his people. 
But it's so easy for us in this culture to compartmentalize our faith with him. And I don't believe this was ever his love. Let me tell you what I think. As we cultivate rhythms, what will actually happen is you will actually, you just, God just won't be a part of your life. He will be your life. So instead of, well, you know, I've got gym. No, it's like you go to the gym with Jesus. I, I, I work out with Jesus almost every day. I go to work with Jesus. I go and hang out with friends with Jesus. Where instead of this compartmentalization, we have a communion with him. Because church, here is, here's my heart. I can't be with you all the time. Our leaders can't be with you all the time. Your friends can't be with you all the time. But do you know who you can be aware of being with you all the time? God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And my heart is that we would shift from that to this. But this will not happen unless we cultivate a rhythm of life, a structure of life that puts God at the center and protects him there. Y'all, this is what I'm talking about whenever we, it's not about how many, it's about what kind. I pray that God would raise up people within Lifehouse that have a ridiculous awareness of God's presence. See his boundaries as blessings. See his boundaries as being protection and that just live in a life of communion with him. As we work to put in place rhythms and practices to cultivate that kind of life, y'all. So we just don't read about the highlights of Jesus. We actually realize we, this could be me. I could actually forgive those. I could actually be in the presence of those who are my enemies and I could bless them. So we just don't have highlights of Jesus. We create a rhythm in the dark so we can shine in the light. I want to read you one more scripture verse. If you would stand up with me. This is Jesus, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. And I want you to just, 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 just feel the power of this verse. This is Jesus here. He's teaching. And you're going to hear some words here that I know you're going to relate with. This is Jesus speaking to a crowd of people. He says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on what? Religion. Wrong, right things for the wrong reasons. But then he says this, come to me, get away with me, and you'll what? But recover your life. Some of you, God wants you to be recovered. And that recovery is going to feel like a total detox from what the culture has shaped and formed you to do into what God wants to create, help you create rhythms. He says, I'll show you how to take a real what? Can we all say it? A real what? Rest. Walk with me. Watch how I do it. Learn. I love that word. He doesn't say do it. He says learn. We say we're training, not trying, right? Learn the unforced rhythms of what? Grace, not religion. Grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and what? Lightly. Y'all, this is what I believe a rhythm will do, that this verse will be possible. But we, we, we got to watch him. Watch how he did it. Keep company with him. That's why we're doing this series. We want to be like him. Let's pray. Jesus, we just pause. Thank you for today. Thank you for the word today. Lord, I pray people heard my heart. I pray, Holy Spirit, you spoke what they needed to hear. Pray that you would illuminate, Lord, in this coming week, specific things that you need to reinforce. Lord, we thank you today that when we read the Bible, we just don't have to read about what you did. But God, we can see how you did it, and we can model our lives after you, that we can create rhythms. rhythms. We can say, as was our customs, we went to gathering as a church. As was his custom, he prayed. As was his custom, he tithed. As was his custom, he sabbathed. As was his custom, he Lord, that as we make these things our customs and our practices and our habits, not just religion, but relationship, the right things for the right reasons. Lord, I pray. Lord, that we would, that, that would put around us a protection of keeping you first. Thank you for you. Thank you for what you taught us today. 
Lord, sink it deep into our spirits and into our hearts. In Jesus' name. Before we receive communion to, together, maybe today, I don't want to assume everyone here knows Jesus or everyone here when I talk about following Jesus. But everyone here has made that decision today. And I just want to invite you, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you were religious, maybe you went to church growing up, maybe you were somebody, you've done some good things, but you can't ever remember making a cognitive decision to say, I want to follow Jesus. I just want to give you that invitation right now. Because Jesus literally just says, come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I believe that there's a real rest that God wants to give some of you today as you receive the invitation to follow him. So just right right now with all, I, I mean, just really the way we do it at Lifehouse, we just say, hey, just say yes. So I'm, I'm just going to count to three. We believe that, that as you say yes, it's actually you saying, God, I welcome you into my heart. I welcome you into my life to be Lord and Savior. So I'm just going to count to three when I do. If, if this is you, would you just say yes? Ready? One, two, three. Listen, I, I want all those that said yes, I want you to, I'm just gonna lead you in a prayer. It's just me putting your hand or putting your hand in Jesus's hand. And I just wanna invite all of us to join in with those that said yes today, just as a sign of unity and, sol and solidarity. So I'm just going to, to just pray. I'm gonna ask you to repeat after me out loud. Ready, Jesus, thank you for your invitation to follow you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin. Jesus, in response to what you did, I give you my life, all of it, the good and the bad, and I receive all of you. Jesus, thank you for doing what you did because you love me. Amen. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.